Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the End Time Tribune. Riddle me this. Will you need your hinds feet in heaven? And tell me if you can. Will you be given the wings of an eagle so you can fly to heaven? Let's get this started with a kick, shall we?
Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to this special edition of the End Time Tribune. Psalms 55, Rapture or Relocation. Well, uh, let's get Thames into the saddle and see how he's been doing since we last talked to him. Uh, Tim, let's get an update from you. Um, it's been a while since you've been on. Um, I don't know if you're aware, but we are switching uh, the format back to the original format, so we're not going to be uh, a broadcast news format anymore. We're going to get back to biblification. So uh, your thoughts on that, too, as well. But uh, bring us up to speed on how you've been and what you've been up to. Amen. It's good to be with you. Um, well, I am excited about the direction. Um, I've been thinking a lot lately about fake news, and it just seems to me that you really cannot understand the news if you are not first familiar with what God told you was going to happen, because there is just so much out there. There are so many voices talking at the same time. Um, it's, well, it's like the banging gong that, uh, Paul talked about. Um, you just don't have any way to triangulate and and understand what's happening if you're not, if you don't have your bearings. And the only way to get your bearings is to know what God told you to expect. And um, the first responsibility, of course, should be to get in the Word on your own. And if you can't do that, to catch episodes like this that are biblically based and try to use those to get your bearings. So that's my initial thought about what you said. Amen. Uh, I think that's a wonderful direction. In terms of what I've been up to recently, um, I've been a little bit in the wilderness. I've kind of been on my own. I've talked a little bit uh, with Jose and AOD, but it's been a it's been a uh, a long time just on my own, just studying and and um, having personal time with God, which is which is a very good thing. Um, he has. Uh, show many things about himself to me and um he's been working on me too i'm i'm more of a law than the testimonies type person and so he has injected me into situations where i need to express the beatitudes um which is an area that i need growth in uh frankly i i am more of a of a law person than god's will um in daily life, the practical application of it, and he's uh, seen fit to put me in situations where I am tested that way. And um, I pray that uh, I'm found faithful. But those that's my uh, answer to your questions. Well, uh, <laughs> that is something else when uh, God switches it up on you. Um, he alone truly knows your weaknesses because our arrogance forever gets in the way. It's it really is amazing that you think that you know you do just fine whether you go left or right, whether with when it comes to the law, you're up to speed, or if you're confident in your area of the prophetic side, and all of a sudden he throws you right into the mix and all of a sudden you realize that uh, no you aren't quite yet up to speed it's amazing how he does that 
uh, with absolute and perfect clarity of timing. You know, a lot of times, well, just just for instance, yesterday, um, I've gone to third shift, so I haven't had the chance to talk to some people in a while, and and due to the strenuous nature of the job in every way, shape, and form, mentally, physically, and spiritually, I'm just being put to the test, and uh, I got thrown into the prophetic side of the narrative yesterday, and uh, I was a little bit rusty. It took me a minute to to gather – how do I put that? Um, you know, Tams, I, I rely heavily on the Holy Spirit to just instantly tell me where to go and what to do and what to say. <laughs> but when you're at your maximum red line – uh, with lack of sleep and and lack of stability, it took me a few minutes to understand what was going on, and I realized uh, my plight. So concerning one a particular test I was being put through, I decided to call one of my dear sisters, and I said, you know, you need to be my remembrance, sir. What, what has happened here? Uh, because I'm not being able to engage total recall with my spirit. I mean the Bible is very plain. It's very clear that it says that we are body, mind, and spirit. But I wasn't at my full capacity, so I was having trouble uh, collecting my bearings uh, with the spirit. So please be my remembrancer. And she straight away informed me of what exactly not only had happened… But what was going to happen? So I understand completely uh, that there are times when uh, the Lord switches it up. He refines you. You know, Tim's. I have the rare opportunity to have worked in a factory, but this was one of the very rare factories that had their own foundry. So we not only machined the parts for the auto industry… We poured our own cast, and I got to watch the guys slag the furnaces, and it's not altogether pleasant. And if you're not careful, of course, you will wind up sterile because when you open up the furnaces to uh, take a rake and you rake off the impurities off the top, the rust and all that sort of thing, if they're not wearing the proper garments, that heat will immediately… Uh, render uh, their reproductive uh, capacity to zero, so they have to be sure to uh, wear the proper gear. And I didn't realize that's exactly what the Lord was doing with me, <laughs> and it would seem he's been doing that for you with a, uh, a season, and that is a good thing, but we have to remember that… If we don't go about this with the intention of his will being accomplished, and we think we can do it with our own strength, we will readily be rendered impotent, whether it be in the mind, body, or spirit. We will come up with zeros. So I appreciate that, and I'm thankful for that. I truly am thankful for that, but… 
getting to the topic at hand. Randomly come up on Twitter, I had thought about naming this a series. Everybody knows that I have a Facebook series called Facebook Engage. I truly thought about naming this series Twitter-cated. <laughs> the <laughs> use of Twitter for biblification. Uh, so, and I, I may, I may do that. Who knows uh, where this may go? But randomly, I was posting things, and you interjected into the mix, Psalm fifty-five. And I never have asked you. Uh, just exactly why you randomly put that in there as if – I don't know. It's like uh, I was sitting there with a big puzzle on the table, got down to the last piece, and couldn't figure quite how to put it in there, and you just randomly opened up the door, walked in, picked it up, and set it right in its place. And it was truly a beautiful thing. It really was. It was truly a beautiful thing. You Right on time, right on target, there it was, and I just remembered. <laughs> I remembered what the Lord my God had promised in Psalm 55. So I really uh, am anxious to get your comments as to why and, well, how you was able to deduct to put that right into that thread on Twitter. Uh, so please let me know. what's How did that work out? Well, that's one of the uh, verses that um, I would say over the past year the Lord has uh, been Placing in front of me uh, to look at, um, you know, every time I, I open up the Bible, I I read, and what I read needs to match up what I read the last time. And I don't always uh, read in a linear fashion. Um, and I had been spending some time in the Hebrew, and um, it of course was amplifying things all throughout the Old Testament. And, um, you know, just going back to those promises that God makes, um, the things that he says. You know, Matthew, I, you're one of the few people that I know that when you speak, your words are very calculated. You don't just say the first thing that pops into your head. Um, and I don't mean that, that there's necessarily a delay, but the things that come out of your mouth are things that you've long considered. And that's one thing that the Lord has been working on with me quite a bit. Um, I've experienced it many times in the past year where I have said things, and later on that very thing has been what's happened. I mean, many times just to myself. Um, for instance, last week when you mentioned the situation in Sicily, um, the next morning I woke up and I picked up my daughter's globe and I went to the opposite side of where that was and said, well, I guess I need to be watching here over the next week. And, of course, the events in Hawaii took off uh, not long after. So, you know, God is with me, uh, just as I know he's with you. Well, you know, just let that statement set in for a second. You know, people have often commented that they're amazed how I know exactly when to pause and how long to pause. They can't seem to calculate it right. And uh, a couple of people, friends of mine for quite some time that do podcasting, they will actually go in there and <laughs> calculate some of my pauses. 
and they will copy that in their auto editor and put it in certain places to see if it works. And ladies and gentlemen, the you have no idea that when God is with you, you not only know what to say, you know when to say it. And you know the cadence that it needs to be because you are to be prepared both in and out of season. So there are many times in your Christian walk when you have dedicated yourself to the Lord your God that you're going to say things, oh my goodness, in disastrously the wrong place. And he will use that to refine you with timing. You know, it's like comforting someone who has had a loved one died. You have to really consider, even though you know exactly what to say, you have to be well aware of when to take your shot. Because if you don't know, you could be saying the exact correct thing at the most disastrous of times. So being prepared in and out of season, ladies and gentlemen, that means something. That The statement in itself is about time. It's about time itself, but everyone reads it backwards for some reason. They think that the important thing is to be prepared. <laughs> no, it's not. That's the smaller portion of what God said. Most of the words in that verse is in regards to time, not being prepared. And that's exactly… What Psalms 55 is about, when you read it, you understand that all the hesitation involved with this psalm. And it says things that's not quite right, this psalm does. It says things that, wait a minute, uh, Christianity today… Says that if you endure some of these things that are happening, like verse 4, you're not really a Christian because Christians don't go through that type of thing. Bad things don't happen to you. This modern prosperity gospel is completely and overwhelmingly antichrist. With that in mind… Ladies and gentlemen, you are to be tested. You are to be tried. But the whole purpose is not for you. It's so you can be prepared to minister to God's children when they need it, not when you do. And that's altogether a terrible thing. Personally… That's a very terrible thing to understand 
personally, you're going to go through all these tests and all these trials and all of this emotional tribulation, not for your sake, but for somebody else, so that when they need, you can supply via the will of the Lord your God. It is a complete expenditure of yourself 100% of the time. All the time. And when you come to grips with that, you're able to understand that that's exactly what's being used here in Psalms 55 when the author plainly knew what was to come. But like I said, he says some things here that really doesn't make any sense. One thing can be sure. The author is the Lord thy God of Psalms 55. The one who penned it knew full well what the law had to say about what type of wings were going to be involved with your being taken to a place that had been prepared for you. But that's not what the author says. He says something else. He says something less than. He says something that is, well, used for sacrificial purposes because he knew full well. That he himself was going to be sacrificed, so he didn't use what he already knew God was going to supply. But it's amazing, and everything he says, he knew exactly what was going to happen. He was just hoping that it was going to happen today for him. He was hoping that this promise could be kept today. He knew he had a place of refuge, and he knew how, how, he, how he was going to get there. There is no denying it, and yet you have to come to grips with what the psalm states. It's just amazing to me that he knew what was going to happen… But he made himself less, and he said that he wished that he could go now. And in doing so, he gave us all the information that we would need at the time. And that is truly a beautiful thing. That is truly a godly thing. So the information contained in… Psalms chapter 55 is absolutely phenomenal. It's – well, it's like the rest of the Bible, God's holy word. It never misses. It always hits the mark. And the chapter that quotes from this psalm in the New Testament, oh my goodness… You can read the words, but if you can't see the prophecy in that chapter, you really are selling yourself quite short.
a random statement in that chapter from the New Testament. She who is at Babylon knew exactly what to say, when to say it, and why to quote from this particular song. Absolutely amazing to me. So, Thames, I guess we need to get to the meat and potatoes. So, you have the mic. Which direction shall we go with Psalm 55? Well, probably a good place to start is to read it. And I'll just add as a footnote here, um, Matthew's uh, commentary about sacrifice. I would encourage any of you that would like to bear witness to that to read Hebrews 5, uh, verses 1 through 10, because that's literally what he was uh, referencing when he talked about the personal sacrifice that is being made on behalf of others. Um, I'll go ahead and read this, uh, Psalm 55. Um, I will read it in the ESV, if that's okay. Most certainly. Uh, most certainly. That is not a paraphrase. That's the only time I would stop you. As if you were attempting to use a paraphrase, which you're not, and that is a translation. So, uh, yeah, that's that's really my only uh, only stipulation with reading the Bible. God's holy word is that it's not a paraphrase. There's a, there's a big difference, ladies and gentlemen, and you need to know that. So that's why you never hear or have heard uh, like the NIV read on air here the end time regime. That's that's nothing more than a little golden book. It's it's a paraphrase. It's not a translation. So, uh, just reminding everybody because it's been a while since we've done this. Um, then when you go to get a paper copy of a Bible, uh, there are many translations, but there are also many paraphrases, which is not qualifiable for any type of Bible study whatsoever. So yes, uh, that translation will be just fine. Go right ahead. Just as an aside, if if the listener, if what you have is an NIV or something which is a paraphrasing, that's perfectly fine in terms of you getting familiar with the stories, which is really in terms of the building of your house. Um, the stories is the first thing that most of us get familiar with. And later on comes the particular words, which are the signposts and guides that tell you where to go next. And those things obviously will require a translation and obviously the uh, original Hebrew and the Greek, but don't stop getting in your Bible because you only have an NIV. Just understand that once you get past the stories chronicling what happened, you're going to need to get a little bit deeper. But Psalm 55, uh, cast your burden on the Lord to the choir master with a stringed instrument, a mascal of David. Give ear to my prayer, O God. And hide not yourself from my plea for mercy. Attend to me and answer me. I am restless in my complaint, and I moan, because of the noise of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked. For they drop trouble upon me, and in anger they bear a grudge against me. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me, and horror overwhelms me. 
I say, oh, that I had wings like a dove, I would fly away and be at rest. Yes, I would wander far away. I would lodge in the wilderness, Salah. I would hurry to find shelter from the raging wind and tempest. Destroy, O Lord, divide their tongues, for I see violence and strife in the city. Day and night they go around it on its walls, and iniquity and trouble are within it. Ruin is in its midst. Oppression and fraud do not depart its marketplace. For it is not an enemy who taunts me, then I could bear it. It is not an adversary who deals insolently with me, then I could hide from him. But it is you, a man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. We used to take sweet counsel together. Within the Lord's house we walked in the throng. Let death steal over them. Let them go down to Sheol alive, for evil is in their dwelling place and in their heart. That I call, But I call to God, and the Lord will save me. Evening and morning and at noon I utter my complaint and moan, and he hears my voice. He redeems my soul in safety from battle that I wage. For many are arrayed against me. God will give ear and humble them. He who is enthroned from old, see law, because they do not change and do not fear God. My companion stretched out his hand against his friends. He violated his covenant. His speech was utter as but was his speech was smooth as butter, yet war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. Cast your burden upon the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. But you, O God, will cast them down into the pit of destruction. Men of blood and treachery shall not live out half their days, but I will trust in you. Wow, I heard everything right there. Oh my goodness, I could hear it all. Um, It's amazing how many things you can hear when you listen. Uh, Just things from... Uh, The New Testament that you can hear there is absolutely mind-boggling. Matthew, of course, uh, we have to talk about uh, Matthew chapter 10. uh, And a man's enemies will be the members of his household. Echoed right there. Um, Oh my goodness. uh, we have uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 here with verse 15, uh, which is an entire exegesis by itself. We have Acts 10 here uh, with verse 17, and everything he says, but yet one thing that really gripped me right there is that This one, this treacherous one, of course, everybody, uh, when you look up your standard uh, commentary on this, is talking about, of course, Judas. This is called the Judas chapter. But you'll take note that there it wasn't personal. It said that this one had betrayed his friends, plural. So… Obviously, this was being written from a personal perspective, but yet it utilizes a grander scale, and there is no mistakes about it, ladies and gentlemen. You know, it is funny how people really don't come to grips with the simple fact that the one that is to come is not called the Antichrist. He never is. 
Every time that phrase is used in the New Testament, it refers to the spirit of Antichrist. Yet here, you get a definite personality, and the church can't seem to come to grips with why the one who is to come is called the false prophet. But here you get it. You think in your mind the false prophet is coming from without. Oh no, he's not. He's coming from within. Of course, we have the event horizon here stated in such a way that it's veiled in prophecy with verse 19. Ah yes, he who sitteth upon the throne. The sixth seal event is all over this, especially when God tips you off with the Salah moment. I shall read it in the KJV. Verse 19, God shall hear and afflict them. He that abideth of old Silah, because they have no changes, therefore they fear not God. Think about the ramifications of that. Of course, the New American Standard Bible there says, He who is enthroned from of old. So just switching back, you have to. Really look at the Hebrew to understand what's what's going on. But yeshab, it means, well, to sit, to dwell. So ladies and gentlemen, that's just one little tidbit there. If you weren't seeing it in your translation, verse 19 is an absolute reference to the sixth seal event. Came right out and told you what their problem is. They do not fear God when this is the first commandment when it comes to any understanding. This is repeated multiple times in the Bible, God's holy word. That to get understanding, you must fear God first. And of course, this is what is rampant running amok through the church today. It's most popularly called once saved, always saved. You get to do whatever you want to do. Uh, party, um, lie, cheat, steal, have as many affairs as you deem necessary or can actually accomplish, and you're still all going to go to heaven. And it's gotten to the point where they will tell you you're not really saved if you don't have enough faith to sin and get away with it. Tams, your thoughts on some of the verses that particularly stuck out to you? Well, I start um, right in the beginning. Uh, he mentions a mascal. And, you know, to edify what you just said, uh, that word means to understand or to be wise. And the particular form of that word um, is only used 26 times in the Bible. And every one of those references, I mean, we could, I did it, we could, we could do it, we don't have the time. But if you trace down those references, um, I'll, I'll go ahead and, and list some of them. Um Psalm 14, 1, Psalm 32, 1, Psalm 41, 1, 42, 1, 44, 1, 45, 1, 52, 1, 53, 1, 50, 
three two fifty four one psalm fifty five psalm seventy four psalm seventy eight psalm eighty eight psalm eighty nine one forty two proverbs ten verse five proverbs fourteen thirty five proverbs sixteen verse twenty proverbs seventeen verse two proverbs twenty one verse twelve jeremiah fifty verse nine Hosea 9.14, and Romans 3.11. And I'm just going to point out the probably the most interesting use case that to point or, or, or to piggyback off what you just said. In 1 Samuel 18, 14, and 15, in 14, it says that David behaved. And in verse 15, it says that Saul feared him because he behaved. Shows you really what we're talking about here. That's right. And what a profound statement that is. And if you can't see that in 1 Samuel 18, what God is actually saying, oh my goodness. Ladies and gentlemen, that's why when you encounter these people and you tell them, hey, man, you just lied. You can't do that. They will get vehemently hateful with you instantaneously. They will instantaneously gnash their teeth at you if you even insinuate to them they must keep any one of the Ten Commandments. They will literally go rabid on you. It is absolutely amazing. So, right here is the keys. Ladies and gentlemen, now, no doubt about it, uh, it was this fear that the enemy of him who would be king was the great instigator of a lot of the king's troubles. But take note in this window. In this psalm, you'll take note that uh, God never says you're to clash with these. And of course, this ties right into another commandment that we're given about this time. To be as shrewd as a snake and as innocent as a what? Ah, yes, Psalm 55. A dove. But we have to come to grips with this, that this false prophet is going to come from within the church, not without. It's going to come from within. And that is in stark contrast with what is naturally assumed today. It's like it's all topsy-turvy. Well, amen. And it's... it's um, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, it's... it's it, it bleeds over into verse 2, because from that very chapter and verse in 1 Samuel 18, you have to realize why verse 2 is sitting there in place in Psalms 55. Give heed to me and answer me. Oh, ladies and gentlemen. 
If God would have answered David's prayer, do you realize everything that happened between him and King Saul would have been negated? I am restless in my complaint and am surely distracted. Well, to, to, I just want to clear up any possible confusion. The, the, it's a slightly different version of Maskell in uh, Samuel 18, but I, you referenced that because it, it makes the point clear. The, the word uh, – well, in, in Samuel 14, it talks about the Lord looking at mankind to see if any would seek to understand him. And – Every reference to that in the Bible is followed with destruction. Um, we hear about that in Genesis 6, leading up to the events of the flood. We hear about that with the uh, reference to what happened with, with Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, Psalm 55, if there's any confusion, um, this is talking about not a normal day. This is not a just a normal, you know, an empire falling and another one starting. This is not just a bad day. This is the day of all days. And all of these mascals, all 26 of them, reference events which are uh, apocalyptic. Um, let me just put it that way. Apocalyptic. Well, that's that's a good way to put it. But actually, that's the perfect way to put it. Because that's really where this psalm is going. I mean, that's really where this psalm is going. You know, Thames, let's, let's do this. Let, let's do what all the generic people do. What do generic people do? Say that who this psalm is about. Of course, just if this was written by David, he would have had to been referencing a particular person, right? Who would that person have been? Well, it would have been Saul. Would have been Saul. So you think that David would have called Saul his friend? So. Let's think about this, Thames. Um, how many times could David have taken Saul's head? Um, let's talk about the mighty Abisha. No doubt about it. He was like, let me pin him to the ground right now. We'll get this show on the road. And David said, no, do you not fear raising your hand against the Lord's anointed? He certainly didn't call saw his friend that day. Amen. So so Jonathan it, was it, his, his his friend. Um they were knit together. Amen. A lot of people would jump on this and say, well this had to be the treachery of Absalom. No. Like I said, king is not used here, and son is not used here. So when you take Saul out of the equation, 
and you take Absalom out of the equation, well, who on earth was David talking about? <laughs> My point is this, ladies and gentlemen. If you can't lock down an event horizon, then you have to really take this with that opening diatribe that uh, Tim's read about. You know, the New American Standard Bible says, for the choir director on stringed instruments. Of course. That translation don't quite do it justice. This maskil is on nigno. That's what it's upon. And that would immediately tell me this is pure prophecy. Pure prophecy. And like I said, he didn't use didn't talk about any bad king here. He didn't talk about a bad son. That's not how he referenced any of this. We can certainly say certain events that happen both with Saul and Absalom put verse 4 into context because certainly David knew that uh, the terrors of death were upon him. You know, let's talk about the escape from such things, I guess. You know, because like I said before, he says it all wrong. There is no consternation what is documented in the law that it is the wings of an eagle. With which we would be translated to this place that Psalm 55 is talking about. It's not what he says. He says something else altogether different. It's almost like he knew what was promised, but he was begging for something less. Right now. And boy, isn't isn't that the case, Tams? Amen. I mean, that is so much the case. Of course, when it comes to bills, right? Or, you know, medical issues. Now, Christians will weep and wail over, well, I know I'm going to get, you know, crowns. I know I'm going to get my reward in heaven, but... I need something right now, right? And people don't set to consider that, that they're asking for something less than they have been promised. I mean, Tim's, what are some of the things that ail you? Bills? Or do you have medical issues? What's what's some of the things that that trouble you that you wish you could be delivered from now? <laughs> Everyone would like less bills. Do you not know that you're going to inherit the kingdom of heaven? Amen. 
I mean, you're going to have all the gold in the world, Tam. Just got, look. Even when it comes to the special and particular elements, let's say uranium. In the kingdom of heaven, Tams, you're going to own all of it. All of it. It's going to be yours. So why on earth would you be worried about a bill that's $251 this month? Why would you ask for just $251 when you're going to inherit the earth, oh, I don't know, the moon… The sun, the stars, that, that's all going to be yours in the kingdom of heaven. But yet, in the here and now, you can't seem to make the connection, can you? It's kind of far off and away. It's untouchable, shall we say. Amen. So it's amazing to me that Fearfulness and trembling are come upon me, and horror hath overwhelmed me. Well, why would he say that? He knows where he's going. I mean, to him, to die is gain. And I said, oh, that I had the wings like a dove, for then I would fly away and be at rest. Where? <laughs> Tams, where would you fly away to and rest? Let me guess. <laughs> Knowing your particular taste, of course, I would say perhaps the French Riviera. <laughs> or maybe Jamaica. Right? <laughs> Amen. Place comfortable. Amen. I mean, I have been told by multiple academically accredited eschatologists that the best place on the planet is Waikiki Beach. Now, they swear by it. They say that is the most beautiful place on the planet. And I marvel at them. One of them got rather upset with me because I asked him, have you ever added up all the cruises and vacations you've taken over the past 16 years? Have you added up all that money to see how much it came to? He got very put off by that. He didn't want to think about that, but he swears by Waikiki Beach. <laughs> Yet, where is God instructing us to Desire to go, Thames. What does this psalm say? Where was he desirous to go? The wilderness. Those aren't exactly five-star accommodations, are they? <laughs> I, you know, I don't think I would even qualify that as being an accommodation, would you? No. I would not consider that an accommodation. I would consider that being, well, using today's terminology, left out in the cold. But yet, here it says that, Lo, then I would wander far off and remain in the wilderness. Selah. 
I would hasten my escape from the windy storm and tempest. You know, that's an amazing statement right there, isn't it? Amen. But it puts you in the starting blocks for not only where you want to be, but what you want to be. Because, of course, if you don't go to the wilderness, you cannot enter into the land. And if you cannot enter into the land, you cannot build the temple. And this completely precludes you from the former or the latter rain, does it not? Amen. Ladies and gentlemen, let's think about what he said. He said he wanted to escape a place where it rained. Why would he say that? He was not referencing a beautiful place. He was referencing a wilderness in which no man would want to go. He wanted well, to be taken to a place that, that… I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was done with my my thoughts. Go ahead. Well, it's interesting that you say that because, of course, the word uh, for dove is Yonah. Which, of course, in the English would be Jonah, is it not? That's exactly what it is. It's Yonah, yes. We pronounce that Jonah. Jonah, yes. But you can't see that because right here it's not going to make sense. Look, you talked about Maskill earlier, and I appreciate that you were reading the cantillation marks, but I assure you that the references you gave were the same exact words because we removed the jots and tittles. Ladies and gentlemen, they put their jots and tittles on it, the cantillation marks, and the word that you're looking at they say is H3123, and Jonah is 3124. Take away their jots and tittles, and I assure you, it's the same exact word. Why on earth would God say Jonah here, like Jonah? Oh my goodness, ladies and gentlemen, you don't get the point? Prophetically, this is exactly what is being stated here. What did Jonah do? He fled, ladies and gentlemen. Last place on earth he wanted to go was Nineveh. He didn't want to go to Nineveh, did he, Tams? He didn't even nope. like the thought of that, did he? Nope. Oh, no. No. So he fled. That's what Jonah did, ladies and gentlemen. Everybody knows this. He fled. So with this one word… Oh my goodness, it's so perfect. When everybody knows, under no circumstance would you relate, you know, David to Jonah. David was the mighty warrior, right? He feared nothing. Oh my goodness. Goliath was standing out there 
just dogging the entire army, and everybody was cowering down. David was instructed to take food to his brother, and he walks right up to the king. Let me go face that boy. Because I go with the name of the Lord my God. And you're going to watch the Lord deliver the unclean into my hand. And that's what happened. Oh my goodness, one of the greatest insults of all time. David used his own sword to cut his head off. Amen. The greatest insult. That's the greatest insult, ladies and gentlemen, when you take somebody's weapon and kill them with it. That is the ultimate disgrace. So how would you even remotely compare the fearless David to Jonah yet? Well, the parallels are there, though. I I mean, David had no place to rest his head. Um, He had been anointed king. Samuel went to visit his town, and the people, when he showed up, didn't even want to let him in. And then, of course, he interviews all the brothers and finds out that one is out in the field doing work, and he's anointed and knowing what that means. And then he was sent to comfort the king, who was filled with fear because the anointing had left him. And then, of course, he was sent to go and check on his brothers, and he went with bread and other things, which is a perfect picture of what the Christ did. And then he conquered the enemy that had been troubling everyone. And then Saul, seeing that people sang his praises more than than him, decided to kill him. And from that moment on, David had no place to rest his head. Until the Lord himself conquered his enemies and then built his house. Well, let me throw a monkey wrench in your works. Can I do that? Sure. Does the word of the Lord our God not say this, that... No Moabite is to enter into the assembly of the children of Israel. It says even to the tenth generation, right? Amen. Riddle me, Thames. Oh, yes. Riddle me proper. Uh, What was Ruth? Well, was she, Thames? Was she an Israelite? No, she was not. <laughs> then we got we 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 got some problems then, don't we? Yeah. She was grafted into I, the family, but yeah. Oh, oh, the family. Which family? By all means, elaborate. <laughs> um, Naomi, by way of her sons, they had been in Moab because of the famine. That's right. The famine in Judah, by the way. 
Well, you're kind of beating around the bush a little bit, which I do appreciate. I really do. I appreciate it. Tell me, who is who is David's dad? Jesse. And what was his relationship to Ruth? Uh oh, ladies well. and gentlemen. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> you're just going <laughs> you're going to kick down some bushes here. <laughs> oh, <laughs> make no mistakes about it. I'll light them like a match. And either they'll be consumed or they won't. <laughs> that that's what Amen. we're looking at. We're going to test this theory with fire because that is what the Lord our God said, that no Moabite was ever supposed to enter the assembly, but you have to come with a dead reckoning because all of the beautiful things you're saying about David don't apply to David because I hate to rain on your party. He came from a Moabite. He came from Ruth. You don't have to like it. You just have to swallow it because that's what God said. That's the way it was. Amen. That's the way it is. And uh, that's the way it's going to be. So, looking at Psalm 55, is that, what, is that what's going on here? I mean, Tams, you realize that David knew what he deserved, right? Amen. You go to this great length to say that, you know, Oh, his brother was out in the field, and he was the youngest son. And had, Oh, no, I assure you that's not what was on David's mind. David knew full well he should never into the, enter, into the assembly of the children of Israel. Whether we like it or not, <laughs> he was from a Moabitess. So when you throw this into Psalms 55, things start to make a whole lot more sense as to why David wasn't like, well, I've been anointed. Why can't I just go to the, you know, go be seated on the throne? That's not what he said. He used words here. We've already talked about them. Making an overt reference to he who sitteth upon the throne. He was like, I'd... But yet Psalms 55 never really mentions that. It's almost like he knew exactly – well, he knew exactly what to say and how to say it <laughs> because what did Naomi – what was she going to do? <laughs> she was going to go home. And what did she tell Ruth to do? She told her to stay. She said, even if I have children… Um, the, the amount of time you'd have to wait And of course her other daughter-in-law Decided to stay. Oh yeah, book Oh yeah, oh yeah What did Ruth say? <laughs> I'll tell you what Ruth said 
Psalm 55. You know, if you think that Naomi didn't say a whole lot more than is recorded in the book of Ruth, you're a little bit short-sighted, ladies and gentlemen. Moabites were in no way, shape, or form welcomed in Israel. Not in any way, shape, or form. But yet, Ruth loved Naomi and was willing to sacrifice everything for that love. And you think that Ruth's good intentions were answered and because Naomi know, knew how to be as shrewd as a serpent, oh, you better wake up and smell the roses. Because that's what Naomi did. She told Ruth to go in and to act like the poor people, but when it came down to lay down, you go lay down at Boaz's feet because he's the kinsman redeemer, right? So wouldn't you say, Tims, that uh, Naomi was certainly acting as shrewd as a serpent? Amen. And... Naomi proceeded to execute her instructions, being as innocent as a dove, correct? Yes. No question. And Naomi and Ruth never really mattered. Everything they did is what got David anointed that day with with Samuel because if these things had not been done if this great tribulation I mean ladies and gentlemen you're talking about the the people in Moab were not righteous they were not under the law and we all know that God gave illicit instructions that no widow or orphan was to undergo tribulation he had set aside laws for their protection, right? Amen. Amen. But in Moab, what was going to happen to Naomi? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. I mean, we're talking about a situation that Naomi had no hope. There was no hope. Really? You better read it and weep. Well, it, was it, in it that clarifies. Hope. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, it was in that hopelessness that all these events were triggered that led to the making of one whom it is said. Was a man after God's own heart, yet he come from a Moabitess. Thames. Well, it it certainly um, illuminates why everyone would be so aware that Naomi was back. 
and what she had brought with her. That's right, because like I said, uh, you know, the Lord our God is pretty clear with reference to Moabites. Even to the tenth generation, they are not to enter the assembly. But yet, that's what we're talking about here. And that was instigated by Naomi fleeing. Just like we got through talking about Jonah fleeing. And all of a sudden, Psalms 55, that's what he's wanting to do. He's wanting to get out of Dodge. But he's not wanting to go to Waikiki Beach. Nope. And not only that, God's obviously not answering his prayer right away, right? Just like the dove. I mean, the first reference to that dove is, you you know, you should be thinking of the flood. Exactly. Left, you know, Noah extended his hand and he came back. There was no place to rest his head. The raven, of course, didn't return. I I like the way he says it in the New Testament. You know, when he's talking, he says, There's no place for the Son of Man to rest his head. And we, and we knew that from from his birth. That's right, from his birth. So, Tims, let me ask you this. What is the end of this matter? You know, let me ask you this. Why why doesn't this psalm ask to be taken to heaven? Why is he longing to flee into the wilderness, Thames? Why is that? What's your thoughts on that? Well, again, this, you know, that's that's the process. Um, You're going to go to the wilderness. A place is going to be prepared for you, and that journey back into the land, um, we start with the tabernacle and we end up with the temple. Amen to that. There's going to be a time of testing. And, you know, this this is what Revelation 14 talks about. From this point on, endure. And that's what he was talking about uh, in Hebrews 3 and 4. He talks about entering into his rest. Um, to do that, you're going to have to endure. And the examples are all over the place in the Bible, and we could, we could go over them. But um, it's the, the timing. It's what you started off with saying. It's the timing. You know, let's talk about that temple aspect. If you've got your Bible handy, why don't you read verses 14 and 15 again for us? Okay. 
We used to take sweet counsel together within the Lord's house. We walked in the throng. Let death steal over them. Let them go down to Sheol alive, for evil is in their dwelling place and in their heart. Tim's, who has it ever said that it's gone into Sheol alive? That's the sons of Korah. Or that's Korah's rebellion. That's right. That is Korah's rebellion. No question about it. Now, surely you can come up with some other reference. Somebody else has went alive into Sheol. Surely somebody, right? No. 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 <laughs> Zero. Why would he bring this into the equation? And why do you think he worded it like that? The house. He didn't say tabernacle. He didn't say temple. He said house. Why do you think he put it that way? We used to take sweet you know, counsel together within the Lord's house and walked in the throng. Let death steal over them, let them go down to Sheol alive, for evil is their dwelling place and in their heart. Have you taken a look at the Hebrew of verse 14? I don't want to catch you off guard, but have you looked at it? No, I haven't looked at that yet. Well, I can pull it up here. Okay, why don't you pull up H7285? Hang on just one second. Company. Regesh. Insurrection, throng, scheming. Did you see that before? Uh, I, I hadn't had a chance to look at it yet, but that was one of the words I wanted to look at. Well, God was certainly bringing it, wanting you to put attention on it because I like how that verse read that you read from but uh, you know this is not altogether a good thing it's a throng it's a tumultuous crowd you were probably right. thinking reading it in English you're probably thinking that he meant a procession right like the procession with the priest perhaps Yeah, I was, I was actually kind of thinking of the crowd give us Barabbas. Yes. Type. Yeah. That's that's where I was. That's what I was seeing with it, just from the rest of the the rest of the references um, that I had gotten earlier in it. But go on. Well, yeah, exactly. But that version that you stated there. Um, it didn't give you that hint. It didn't give you that clue that this was not an altogether uh, good thing. Because really, that that verse that 
you read, it kind of sounded like it was perhaps a good thing. It was a good – like a procession when no. Well, let's, let's read it out of um, – let's see. What does the KJV says? It says, into the house of God in company. Uh, that's definitely – I wouldn't use for that word company. The NSAB says, uh, walked in the house of God in the throng. It gives you no hint, no reference to this having anything to do with a tumultuous situation. So it's kind of in the background, shall we say. So is this version of English is, is – is, like I said, he, he doesn't – Use in verse 14, he doesn't use tabernacle or temple, not either right. one. But yet that's what you're likening it to because if you're going to the wilderness, you've got to be talking about a tabernacle. You have to be. Right. So… It amazes to me as to why he would reference, and of course the New American Standard Bible says sweet, and that's what it means, that right. word. But yet he then he turns right around and uses ragash, which huh, which is exactly in reference to what was going on during what? Ah yes, Karaz Rebellion. That's exactly what was going on. But you can call God's house anything. God's tabernacle was certainly his house for an extended period of time, and so was the temple for an extended a period of time. Although it's not anymore. Now it's Mount Zion. It is the eternal mountain in the heavens. Mount Zion, and you referenced Revelation chapter 14 a little while ago, which definitely, definitely <laughs> brings to bear in this chapter, which… Well, that's where Karaz Rebellion happened. It was after they had already been relocated. You realize that, Thames? Yep. But if you're not looking at this prophetically, all this stuff is going to go right over your head. And… All this is just so beautiful to look at. I mean, I'm just sitting here looking at the Hebrew. <laughs> just when I have to make reference to how it's worded in English, do I have to switch over and see what the KJV says or the New American Standard Bible? You know, Thames, here he mentions time again, evening and morning, verse 17. And at noon, I will complain and murmur, and he will hear my voice. 
there's multiple references to time here. Which, when you read it in the Hebrew, you kind of get the setup as to why he finishes this chapter the way he does. Verse 23 doesn't altogether make sense. But you, O God, will bring them down to the pit of destruction. Men of bloodshed and deceit will not live out half their days. You know, looking at this in the Hebrew, that's that's not exactly – well, that's very strange to say. It's strange to look at. I mean he definitely uses yom for days, no doubt about it. But the katash there used, H2673, it means to split in two. And Tams, if we all know that that's how exactly what we're looking for here, right? I mean, there's only one time in reference here, one kind of time that is given three different nomenclatures. It's called time, time, and the dividing of time. It's called 1,260 days. It's called 42 months, right? Right. All kinds of over-references to that throughout the scripture, top to bottom. But I have spoken enough for a little while. Why don't you speak a little? Well, there's just there's so much here. Um, talks about dividing their tongues, where I see violence and strife in the city. Days and night they go around it on its walls, and iniquity and trouble are within it. Ruin is in its midst. Oppression and fraud do not depart from its marketplace. I mean, if, if you can't see the reference to the harlot, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what to say. And that marketplace. I mean, that's exactly where the angels intended to head to when they went to Sodom and Gomorrah. They stopped to check in with Abram and to tell them what their plans were. And he, of course, sought mercy. He sought to intercede on the people's behalf. But the angel's intention was to head to the marketplace. And Lot, being a godly man, insisted that they sojourn not in the marketplace, but to come to his home. And similarly, in Judges, I believe it's chapter 19, when the Benjamite and his concubine were heading back home, um, their intention was to Stay in the marketplace, and the old man insisted that they go to his house. Marketplace 
there's a double reference there. One, of course, is to that and, and coming judgment. But over and over again, you're told in the Proverbs that wisdom stands in the marketplace and says, if any wish to be wise, hear my voice. There's just so much there. I agree in more ways than one. You know, let me throw a a tidbit in here. The word I just mentioned for divide in verse 22, that exact word is only in one other verse, just one. Ezekiel 37, 22. And I will make them one nation in the land, on the mountains of Israel. Now, why would he say that? Anyway, let me, let me continue. And one king will be king for all of them. They will no longer be two nations and no longer be divided into two kingdoms. There's, of course, only one thing he can be referencing here. Ah, yes. First for the Jew, then the Gentile. And throwing that word in there in that last verse, you know he's talking about something else. You know that verse 22, the verse before it, He's talking about overtly a time that will come again when you will be provided for in the wilderness. You know, how did they live in the wilderness, Thames? Did they like have steak and – well, let me put it in your own wording. Did they have good accommodations there in the wilderness for 40 years? Well, that's – they had exactly what they needed for that day and nothing more. I mean, it's, it's exactly the same conditions that existed in first Kings 17 during the famine. Um, they had literally what they needed, nothing more. If someone had much at the end of the day, it would have ran out and they only had what they needed. It's, it's literally the, measurements that are it's it's like talking about the cubit you know my cubit is different than your cubit it's um it's it's just enough it's not anymore it's exactly what you need not not any any more than that there's no excess tomorrow you're going to get what you need for tomorrow the only rest from that is is of course the sabbath the day before you get you're supposed to get twice as much You could say it's the candles that the five wise virgins and the five foolish virgins. There's enough oil, exactly the proper amount. No more, no less. Well, 
I appreciate that that's exactly opposite of what he says is going to be done to the men of bloodshed with that using that word to divide, to split. So what you're overtly saying is that he's accepting the simple fact that he wants to be taken someplace. At the same time, their steps are divided in half. He will have his, well, the day before the Sabbath. You said for some miraculous reason, the law was still able to be executed because the day before the Sabbath, they'd get twice as much. That's the exact opposite of that word he used. So you're saying that the day before the Sabbath, their portion was doubled. That's exactly the opposite. Doubling mm-hmm. is the opposite of having, right? Mm-hmm. And he gives other he gives other monumental references here. Why don't you <clears throat> do me a favor and read verse twenty one, Thames? Okay. His speech was smooth as butter, yet war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. Now, Thames, who is the only one that it is said that has a – now, he says double, by the way. A double-edged sword coming out of his mouth. Who is that? That's Christ the King. Amen. Yet here, he doesn't come out and say it. He words it in a way that it skirts around the issue, but you get the point if you have understanding. His speech was smoother than butter, but his heart was war, and his words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. They were a sword. Indirect reference to – well, let's talk about the, the false prophet again. What is he able to do? Does he not wield fantastic power? Amen. Ah, yes. Call, I mean what's the big thing he's supposed to do that's supposed to get everybody's attention? Call fire down from heaven, right? Yeah. But… This is a way of skirting around it saying what's going to be the termination point for this time the psalmist is talking about. And that's exactly what the Lord our God says. Christ the King crashes the party with a sword coming out of his mouth, a dual-edged sword, it says, which like I said… Is exactly the opposite of being divided. So let's uh, let's talk about this. Thames, is there any reference in this chapter to being raptured to heaven? No. And you would it's say clearly that, talking about a relocation to the wilderness, which is not heaven. The last time I checked. Well, <clears throat> let's just uh, lightly talk about this because like I, I said, we do have references here to First Thessalonians uh, chapter 5, mm-hmm. and everybody knows what that is. But 
Verse 15, let death come deceitfully upon them. Let them go down alive into Sheol, for evil is in their dwelling in their midst. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 3, while they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child, and they will not escape. Yes, that's an over-reference to the same exact thing. Right. It's being so, cast into outer darkness. Um, I mean, everybody should understand that when King David was old, they were worried about the light going out in Israel. Um, when you're cast into outer darkness, you're, you are <laughs> being separated from that light. You know, Tams, what what was your eschatological point of view about originally as to how you were going to go through the tribulation? So did you originally thought that you were going to be taken to Mount Zion? Honestly, I didn't know. Um, you know, people say pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib. They, they say all these different things, and... When you read it, it doesn't say what any of them say, so you're just kind of left with uh, a whole lot of confusion um, or questions. And, you know, back in a long time ago, I, I, I recognized that there was repeating, at least in Genesis, and then when I started to follow your broadcast, it was uh, clear that we're, we're talking about isochronal events, and, and the repeating isn't just um, in Genesis, but it's everything. Every, everything is repeating. And so if you want to understand end-time prophecy, you need to uh, understand Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and on and on and on and on and on, because it's all talking about the same thing. I mean, I used to say it to you. I used to say... I care about God's word. I don't care about prophecy. And that's sort of like saying, um, I, I like chocolate. I just don't like um, chocolate. Every, every word out of his mouth is prophetic. All of it. You know what? When you study the Bible, uh, that's what conclusion you come to, don't it? Because it always says the same thing. It it really always says the same thing. Yet, I remember one of the first conversations you and I had. You had questions about, well, how is it you're able to take any chapter of the Bible and explain everything with it? Do you remember that conversation? Yeah, vaguely, yeah. Tim's. it doesn't matter where we go. When you know what is to come… You can use any chapter, can't you? You can. Yeah. You, you literally understand what it's going to say before you read it. You know what's coming. Right. I mean, I can relate it to music. You know, I play the guitar a little bit, and I can play something up at the top of the neck. I can play it at the bottom. It's the same notes. It's just different octaves. Um, and that's literally, you know, when I when I, you know, when I read Kings. Um, it sounds a whole lot like Exodus. Um, it's it sounds a whole lot like, I mean, it, it 
it's just isochronal. Um, it just, everything just repeats. It's kind of like impossible to like the flavor chocolate, but not like chocolate itself. I mean, what? what's the percent that you actually get chocolate as flavoring now? I mean, let's say you even buy coffee creamer. Tam's chocolate's not in it, even though it says it's chocolate flavor. Right. And that always rings true, doesn't it? You know, when you study the Bible, all of a sudden, chocolate you can taste. But the flavoring chocolate is quite sour. So, you can certainly use that with this topic of relocation or rapture. Not that we're not going to be translated because we are. But it plainly says that's going to happen in the atmosphere. You're not going to Mount Zion. You're not going to ascend the heights of heaven. 100% of the time, the Bible says that's a bad thought to have in your head. Plainly states that Christ is going to come with a sharp two-edged sword in his mouth. At that time, he will bring back those that are currently in paradise, and then you will be changed. And the Greek is quite simple to look at. It is a closed triple compound word that means changed on the earth. That's what it means. If you'd like to see the etymology of that, I've done uh, some posts over there on cunningly devised fables. Go look it up. You can just look at the proof right there, what God's doing. And stuff like that, do you know it's not true? Uh, nobody um, – well, you talked about Lot. He was certainly not raptured. What happened? I mean what, what happened to Lot? How did he – really? I mean the now, angels – you're sure? I mean, he... I mean the angels literally carried them out of the city. I mean they um, – but he, he wasn't carried to heaven. He was – No, they weren't, because the Bible always says and always – I mean if we go through every time this these verses line up, it's ridiculous. I mean just uh, verse 20. You got Psalm 7, Psalm 120. You've got Numbers 30, you've got Psalm 89 here, Psalm 41, Psalm 125. That's just one verse because it always says the same thing. He means the same thing. That's why prophecy is cyclical. That's why he loudly screams out in the Bible that he chases after what's been. Amen. He literally comes right out and tells you that… It's isochronal eschatology. That's true. Everything else is a lie. And if he said one time that it's bad to want to ascend the heights of heaven, that's what he's going to say 100% of the time, right, Tims? 
Amen. Because he doesn't change. He's perfect. He's not and, changing anything. And when he says, well, I mean, we just talk about the, the main book, Revelation. When he says that you're first going to flee into the wilderness, well, that's exactly what happened with the children of Israel. They fled right. to what? They fled to the Red Sea, right? Amen. And then God stepped in, right? Then God stepped in. Part of the Red Sea, they went across, and for 40 years he took care of them in a place that was prepared by him on a daily basis, Tamp. So, Which is exactly was, what he did in Kings with, uh, with, yes. with Elijah. Yes. <laughs> and it's and it's All not just the it's not just the water, it was the what what Elijah ate was the same thing that they I mean it's it it all matches up perfectly. Well, right. Well, here let me ask you this. How many times was there a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire in the 40 years? How many times did that happen? Daily. Daily. So you're saying that God kept that place prepared on a day. And how did they get the manna? Did they get that like once a week, or was that just during the first week? Daily. The, oh, the, okay. The so exact what you're saying, same way that the, the the exact same way that the widow daily had enough flour and oil for that day. Daily. So literally speaking. Literally speaking, God prepared that place for them on a daily basis. Amen. And I find it interesting that, you know, when if you go and you look at just the parallels between Elijah and um, his situation with the Exodus, I mean, it's funny because when you go to chapter 18, uh, when he runs into Obadiah, uh, Obadiah, he, he tells Obadiah, tell Tell the king where I am, and he says, "What have you got against me? I I hid the prophets. I, you know, I I I tried to. You, as soon as I leave, the spirit of the Lord is going to take you to a place that I know not where." And literally, that place <laughs> was with the widow. <laughs> right. Right. You know, let me ask you this, Thames. Do you realize we're down to the last six minutes of the broadcast? <laughs> Amen. Hey, and we haven't even scratched the surface of this, <laughs> this chapter. <laughs> so no, we, we 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 haven't, but I feel pushed that you know, um I really do feel pushed. That we need to quickly read First Peter chapter five because okay. it directly directly quotes this. So can you get over there real quick and read that for us? Because we've got fifteen minutes into overdrive. We've only got five minutes forty eight seconds left on the live broadcast. And it's like, where did the time go? It went away. The time was divided, Tams. Because I don't feel like I've been on here for two hours. I don't but we hear. have been. Uh, amen. All right, I'm First Peter chapter five. You said that is correct. Shepherd the flock, O 
separate the flock of God. So I exhort the elder among you as a fellow elder and as a witness of the suffering of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God will would have you, not shameful, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that the proper so at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little, while the, after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Silvus, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. He who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, stands, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all you who are in Christ. Wow, so much there. You know, I like the name there given in verse 12 because that's from the Hebrew word. Ah, yes, that fountain in Jerusalem. I know what he's talking about. But, Tam, did you realize that this was all about the end? I mean, verse yes. 1, there can be no consternation. He is talking about that which is to be revealed. And let's talk about the anomaly of verse 13. Who is this woman? And why is it worded that way? You know, she who is in Babylon. Lord have mercy. Of course, we cannot fail to mention this directly quotes. Psalm 55, in verse 5. Absolutely a beautiful thing. But that's just a couple of things that grab me when you read it. I mean, there can be no consternation what he's talking about, ladies and gentlemen. No consternation in what context this is in. Verse 10, after you have suffered for, for a little while, of course, what's that little while? Well, ladies and gentlemen, you should know what happened before. The God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, straighten, and establish you. To him 
dominion forever and ever and amen. There is no consternation what time he's talking about here to me. No, there's he's no made himself – I mean he's made himself perfectly clear. Yeah, he's, he's, he's speaking very plainly. Um, well, he's – the testing of our faith builds endurance, and people need to understand that when the Christ was on the cross and he said – Father, why have you forsaken me? There is going to come a time when you have that same feeling yourself, whether you believe it or not. Because when you do not ascend into heaven and you realize what's actually going on, you're going to think that you have been abandoned. And it is at that moment in time when you had better have enough oil in your lamp to endure. And so the troubles of today, the financial problems, the, the medical problems, the relationship issues, all of those things are for the testing and the refining of your faith that you might be able to endure that time. You don't have to believe well, it. Look it up. Look at what he said in James. Look at what he said in Hebrews. Well, Thames, let's let's be clear. Okay. <laughs> there is no doubt there's going to be a point of time. Well, mentioning here Psalms 55 with the shaking to be experienced, that's of course direct reference to, as I mentioned before, the great day of he who sitteth upon the throne. Mm-hmm. Before then, when the writers are writing, everything you just said is going to be magnified. Oh, you're you're going to have financial trouble during that time. But it's not going to last forever. And one thing's for sure. One of the favorite verses everybody knows right off the top of their head. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And then he goes on to directly quote from Psalm 55. Now there is no consternation that what was prophetically being referred to the bad guy there. is certainly something far dire than anybody else talks about. Because during this time, ladies and gentlemen, if you don't take the ride on Eagle's wings to a place that's been prepared for you, you better come to grips with this right now. One-third of the angels is going to physically be here. It's going to be just exactly the opposite how Thames described the angels that did unto Lot. Only the Bible clearly says they're going to take you where you don't want to go. So... Now, all of a sudden, 1 Peter chapter 5 takes on a whole new light when you realize exactly what's being talked about here. And yes, it happens continually, prophetically speaking, just like Judas and Jesus, no doubt about it. But I assure you, 
uh, this chapter is not about Judas and Jesus. Oh no. Oh no. He made himself clear multiple times that this was going to be a time yet to come. Amen. And if you're going to press out the grape, you had to first pluck it from the vine. And I don't like the translation um, in the English, but that's exactly what Jacob and Benjamin in chapter 49. And it is again referenced in Genesis um, when it talks about the cloak, that coat of many colors that was shown to the father and the father believed that his son had been plucked by the lion. That's exactly what this is talking about. I don't know what else to say, but amen. That's exactly what he's talking about. Well, Thames, we're into overdrive, so we're we're about to be cut off. So your closing comments, please. Well, happy Mother's Day, everyone. Um, the best that any of us can hope for is to be the woman um, who's about to give birth to that child. That child will ascend Mount Zion, and may it be that we find ourselves in the place that has been prepared for us. And I love you all. I hope everyone is, is well. And I know that contrary to the news that people's personal situations are a lot more uh, dire than what it might appear. And I'm with you in prayer and I, um, I love all of you. Amen to that. I'll just repeat those sentiments. Amen. You need to get ready, ladies and gentlemen. You have been taught that you're waiting for Christ to return and sweep you all the way to heaven. That's not who you're waiting for. The Lord your God's going to give you a Salah moment, just like he said. That's the next terrestrial incursion you're going to endure, is he who sitteth upon the throne. And to come to grips with that moment, you need to come to grips with Psalm 55 and all that it entails. We shall go out... with a tune. Until next time, ladies and gentlemen, God bless. Godspeed.
Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the End Time Tribune, covering breaking news and current events as it pertains to Bible prophecy. In effect, dispelling all the cunningly devised fables about the rapture. For he is coming. He who sitteth upon the throne is coming, and he will rattle. 